G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. It started off, my labour was really long, but then about 24 hours after I had delivered my baby girl, she went blue and she stopped breathing. Thankfully, the the paediatrician was in the room at the time and we took her straight to the special care nursery and she needed extra intervention and she needed lines and things. And that for me was the start that birthed my anxiety. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to the story. Well, Marette Abraham was born in Egypt and migrated to Australia when she was one year old and has lived here ever since. After embarking on a career as a medical doctor in Sydney, she found herself in the trenches of motherhood and struggling with anxiety and depression. It was in the depths of her despair that she called out to God and she's written about her experiences in a book called Mama, I See You, Finding Glimmers of Hope in the Trenches of Motherhood. Today, Dr. Marette Abraham joins us from her home in Sydney to share her journey. She's chatting with Eric Scadabo. Marette Abraham, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. Glad to have you on the program. And we should say how ironic it is that we were trying to schedule this interview a few times, but it kept on getting interrupted by motherhood. Is that right? (laughs) By motherhood. That's right. You plan and you plan. And no matter how much you plan, you just, the plans can never come to fruition if it's not meant to be. But yeah, my daughter was actually quite ill and she's you know, she was struggling with fevers and congestion and it was kind of just touch and go there whether we were going to take her to the hospital. So lots of delays and obviously the sleeplessness that comes Mm, after a sickness bout. So, yes, I'm glad to finally be here (laughs) chatting with you. But, yes, motherhood did get in the way. (laughs) But that's reality. That's real life. You have interruptions. It's part of being a parent. That's right. And I think it's it's taken me a long time to just accept that these interruptions are very organic to motherhood, very organic to parenthood. Mm-hmm. It's just life and things sometimes don't go to plan and that's okay. And there are just some things that take priority at certain, you know, given moments. So I'm glad you were very understanding. But yes, that is life. That is motherhood. That That's is right. my motherhood, I feel, every single plan. <laughs> now, when you said that your daughter was sick, I'm like, oh, obviously we can't do the interview. You have to take her to the doctor. But I'm thinking, oh, wait a second. You are a doctor. <laughs> I am a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> but you still went to the doctor. Yes, because, you know, doctors make the worst patients. and. Yeah. Doctors with kids also make the worst doctors for their kids because oh, okay. there's no objectivity. Yes, there's no objectivity. It's all just chaos and anxiety in our minds and always worst case scenario. And I need to, you know, her GP is, is really great and he's always really good at reeling me in and he'll mm-hmm. examine her and on the side always be like, Marette, this is fine. You're fine. It's okay. She'll survive. And he's just okay with answering all of my dumb questions. So I'm <laughs> really how, glad. How could you possibly have dumb questions? Oh, you would be surprised. <laughs> Lots of really dumb questions. Again, we see the very worst case scenarios. Oh, and I worked right? in the emergency department for a really long time. 
Oh. And after working for a year in the emergency department, I came home and I put an end to so many toys and so many things that my daughter had because I just saw right. the negatives of mm-hmm. how that can play out. And yeah. so it just made me even more highly strung, <laughs> which oh, I didn't no. think was possible, but it did. It did make me even worse. <laughs> wow. Well, I am looking forward to hearing your story because, well, you've been on quite a journey, mm. you know, the depths of despair, as we heard in the introduction, mm. but- it is a journey with hope and, and how the Lord has come in and lifted mm. you out of that despair. So a lot of encouragement at the end of the day. Mm. So we want to hear this whole journey. But first, before we get to all that, I want to hear about your background. I believe you are the first Egyptian Coptic Christian that we've ever had on the program. So please tell us about your background. Mm. Well, it's an absolute honor to be invited here. And yes, yeah, so I, I was born in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents migrated when I had just, just shy of my second birthday, so I was still one. Um, and they came to Australia, made the difficult decision to move to a, a country where they knew nobody. They didn't know the language very well. They had really good jobs back in Egypt. Um, they were doing really well financially. And it was really just to give us, you know, their kids a better opportunities down the track. And mm-hmm. they knew that we would have a harder time if we had stayed in Egypt and wanted to pursue further studies or, you know, specific careers. So as soon as I turned one, they made the brave decision to come to Australia. And so they migrated here. Again, I turned two when we got here uh, and I've been living in Sydney my whole life. We've we've moved around Sydney, but we really haven't moved anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've built up our own community and our own you know, network of friends through the church, you know, uh, the church really was our home. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how big is the Egyptian Coptic Christian community in Sydney? I would have no idea. You know, we've got, you know, just over 20 churches in uh, Sydney alone, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. just Coptic Orthodox churches around Sydney. And so all, all around Sydney. So whether you go east, south, northwest, wherever, you'll find a Coptic church somewhere in the vicinity. Um, so we're quite a decent sized population. Um, we're a smaller population in Egypt, but we're still, you know, quite known. The Copts Mm -hmm. are quite known around the world. Um, What percentage of the population in Egypt is a Coptic Christian? Uh, look, I'd say last I checked, which was last year, um, it w- we were about 5 to 10%, so oh, okay. quite small. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we're, we are growing and, and we're establishing churches all around the world and we've got mission groups all around the world as mm-hmm. well. Um, and so it, it is, you know, Coptic is our heritage. It's our, it's our culture. We had started speaking Coptic in Egypt uh, back to distinguish ourselves as the Christians um, when the Arabs invaded. So it was more to identify ourselves as Christians, as mm-hmm. the Coptic Christians of the land. And so we started speaking Coptic and Coptic just infiltrated all of our services. You know, it was the native tongue for us at that mm-hmm. point. And Coptic Christians have been persecuted since the beginning of time. So mm-hmm. I, I think it was it was an honor to be martyred for the name of Christ. And so to have this mark of a language and, you know, a lot of us have crosses on our wrists as a mark of our Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, and to have that mark and people identify us as Coptic Christians was was quite a privilege. And so that over time, we still speak Coptic in a lot of our services. Mm-hmm. We use it in our liturgies, um, a lot of our responses. It's not no longer the native tongue. You know, uh, mm-hmm. in Egypt, we speak Arabic to each other and around the world, you just speak the language 
you know, of the country you live in, mm-hmm. um, but we do still incorporate it into our services. Orthodoxy is really just, you know, orthodox means straight and narrow. So we've kind of just taken the apostolic faith. Um, so the apostle Mark came mm-hmm. and preached Christianity to Egypt, and we've we've taken that with very little, if no, you know, diversions mm-hmm. throughout the mm-hmm. course of history, um, and we still practice that same faith and. That's that's you know we we're bringing that ancient faith into the modern world. So we still have English in our services, obviously, to make it mm. more inclusive. And we have um, we have certain parishes that are set up just for mission and just for evangelism. And so those parishes don't actually uh, incorporate Coptic in their services to make it a lot more inclusive and make it a lot more open to anyone wanting you know to join the faith. So. Who would they be evangelizing to in these services? So it, anyone, anyone and everyone. Open okay, so it's not just listening. for Egyptians yeah. or no, it's for everybody. Subculture. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's for everybody of mm-hmm. of any background, any culture, anyone that just wants to be introduced to the faith, anyone that just wants a place to belong. Um, it, it's it's really just for everyone. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. I didn't know a whole lot about. Coptic Christian. So this is very educational for me. So now let's go from the broad to the specific. What did Mm. it mean for you growing up? And how did your faith, your own personal faith, how did that develop? Mm. So growing up for me, you know, I had always attended the church. Um, I grew up in the church and my relationship with God, I feel, was always a very checklist relationship. You know, Mm. have I prayed? Have I read my Bible? Have I done my quiet time? Have I preached at all? Have I done anything extra for him? Have I served? It was always, you know, looking back, it was Mm. always a checklist. Um, Mm. And I did start to develop a really close relationship with him towards the end of my schooling. And I felt like, I felt really out of my depth. Um, I know it sounds a bit juvenile, but I I really did dedicate a lot of myself to my studies. And I, I felt like I really needed him to get through. I really needed him to help me de-stress and to just focus and to show me where I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to be. I was quite confused as mm-hmm. to where he was leading me. Um, and so I developed a really close relationship with him through, you know, that period. And I, that period of not knowing what I wanted to do with my life, although I may have seemed young, I was only in high school, I, th- I feel like he spoke to me through a lot of the people around me as well, which mm-hmm. he still does till today, and I, that's my love language. Yeah, that's how he shows up for me. And so I grew up around a lot of cancer patients, not patients but family members. Um, I had lost so many family members to cancer, mm-hmm. and cancer for me was just something that was always around. It, it mm-hmm. just never seemed to to leave. And no one ever got better. Um, mm. And to see their faith and to see their will and their strength to the very end was beyond inspiring. It was something that I wanted and I needed in my mm. life. You know, regardless of the trial in front of me, I needed that willpower, that faith to know that whatever it was, God is there at the end just waiting with open arms. I needed to have that zeal, have that zeal for him. And for me, I I interpreted that as possibly if I worked with cancer patients or people who are terminally ill, I can be reminded of that daily. I can be reminded that death 
is so near, that we are so fragile and we need him more than ever. And so that that kind of started the journey for me, you know, set me on that that path with God. Mm-hmm. I got to know him a little more intimately and the way he communicated with me, I started to notice the little little love notes he was leaving around mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. And and that's when my my true faith journey started, I'd mm-hmm. say, although mm-hmm. I did grow up in the church. My true journey with Christ, my true love for Him, I would say started in late high school. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Dr. Marette Abraham, who's sharing her life journey and what it was like growing up in the Egyptian Coptic Christian community in Sydney. Next, we'll hear more of her story, including how her battle with anxiety and depression began. That's all coming up when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401-132-888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. Today, Dr. Marette Abraham from Sydney is sharing her life journey with us. She's the author of the book, Mama, I See You, Finding Glimmers of Hope in the Trenches of Motherhood. Before the break, we heard how God had been working in her life and how she was inspired by the faith of family members who had cancer. Now, here's more of her conversation with Eric Scatterbo. And did that experience with family members with cancer, did that kind of have an impact on your decision to become a doctor or is that something completely different? That's exactly right. That's the only reason I got into medicine. Um, oh, and the okay. only reason I pushed so hard was, you know, I wanted to feel as as morbid as this sounds, just bear with me. I wanted huh. to feel as close to suffering as possible. Um Oh really? In the in the way that I know it it's nobody everybody kind of avoids cancer and avoids the terminally ill and avoids mm-hmm. sick kids but I feel like being near suffering is a constant reminder for me of how fragile I really am of mm. how fragile this life really is and yeah. how much I need God how much I need to rely on mm-hmm. him and it you know, seeing other people suffer as as painful as that is. You know, I've had times in my work and during my days where I have just broken down. I, I've I've struggled to cope with losses. I've struggled mm. to cope with diagnoses. I still do, but I know that you know there is hope for them outside of this realm. Mm. Yep. You know, we yep. we always look to the physical, but we are living for an eternal life right so our lens needs to be eternal and mm-hmm. suffering yep. is just a way for me as a constant reminder that my my eternal game needs mm-hmm. to be strong yeah. um i need to be focused yes having an eternal perspective but i'm i'm just finding this very interesting because so many people would react the opposite way oh cancer dying i don't want to have anything to do with that um mm. let me go the opposite way but it actually attracted you to strengthen your faith and then also to get into medicine and have a constant reminder of your faith. Yeah. And look, I've seen, I've seen 
miracles and such healing happen towards the end of people's lives. And although, yes, a lot of people do run away from it, I feel like when I get too comfortable and too cushy in Mm. my job, it pulls me away from my faith. It pulls me away from God. It makes me complain more. It makes me Mm. bitter. It makes me resentful. But working with those who really need help, who Mm. are really in pain, who are truly suffering, who feel like everybody's left them, who towards the end a lot of family members are no longer there and it's just them, it's made me rely on God a lot more because the power of my service in medicine, the power of my service as a doctor becomes much more kind of weighted. You know, what what I do has more weight mm-hmm. in those yeah. times than when everything is actually fine for them. And, you know, I may not be preaching God in the corridors of the wards or on the, you know, in the hospital beds, but as soon as somebody asks or, you know, I've seen people come close to dying and say, I've always wondered if there's a God, what a door, what an opportunity mm, yeah. to talk. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and you don't get those opportunities unless you're really hit with death, you know, mm-hmm. you're in the, you're facing yeah. death and you're facing that with such fear and you've got anxiety towards it. You'd never get those opportunities to have these discussions with people. And look, they're very few and far between, but my gosh, when they happen, mm-hmm. it's just such sweetness and it's such mm-hmm. sweetness on Mm-hmm. God's part to allow me to be a part of that, to feel mm-hmm. like yep. I'm a part of that person's journey. So it's interesting that you had all these experiences with people close to death, but little did you know that eventually you would be going through your depths of despair and valleys of life experiences. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I feel, you know, up until a certain point, I was taking to an extent, suffering for granted. You know, Mm. I was watching other people suffer and I was, you know, feeling pity for them and, Mm. you know, trying to pray for them and trying to serve them as best as I could in my workplace and whoever came, you know, I came across outside my workplace too. But, again, I felt like there was a bit of a disconnect and there was still an image of God that I had painted and that's what I was living thinking that I knew, you know, I thought Mm. I had my relationship with God down pat, you know, my experiences growing up and I felt like him and I were tight and I knew him and he knows me and Mm -hmm. we're okay. But, you know, I soon realized where I am right now is definitely I'm I'm not where I was before and Mm. the God I know now is so much more awesome than the one I thought I knew before. Mm. Um, And so, Like anything in medicine, I had a plan. I wanted to get into cancer care. I wanted to work with people who are terminally ill. But uh, if anyone is listening and is a doctor, you'll know that that road is never that smooth. And it's always much harder to get to where you want to be once you're in the hospital system. Mm -hmm. And there there are still a lot of politics. And, you know, if someone says they like you and they want to give you a job, you kind of jump on that because you know you're not guaranteed jobs elsewhere and it's, it kind of gets tricky that way. Mm. And so I had made the decision to stop pursuing cancer care and actually go into a different route because, you know, uh, a specialist had told me that, you know, I I did enjoy working with geriatrics, so the old people I really did sp- love. I loved working in aged but care. But once again, you're with people dying. <laughs> Once again, yeah, and I I, I twisted it. I always said, you know, if I do end up in aged care, I'll only work 
uh, you know, with the terminally ill in aged oh, care. So kind of- You just can't get away from death. I can't get away. I thought that yeah. was where I needed to be. I really yeah. did. Um, and so I just kept trying to make concession that way. Mm-hmm. And then I got to a point, it was kind of a fork in the road where I had committed to a training program, which included really long hours, really long weekends, the training program would have been grueling. My hours would have been insane. I would have not had time or a chance to even start a family if I wanted mm-hmm. to. There was no part-time option and I, I couldn't kind of share the job with someone else who was a young mom or someone who just wanted some time. So I really had made the commitment to commit to this program for five extra years. Um, oh, and wow. so a part of me was kind of, quite upset by that decision, but I never really verbalized it because I really did want to start my own family. I really Mm -hmm. did want to be a Mm mum. And so I had prayed about it and I struggled with it. And I got to a point, really, it was an overnight switch where I said, I'm going to pull out of this program and I'm going to start a family. And I spoke to my husband and, you know, we were on the same page. And it's fine, you know, as a doctor, there are different avenues. It may take a bit longer to get to where you want. You may Mm -hmm. have to change completely. You just have to kind of roll with the punches. Mm-hmm. And so that I thought that was it for my dream of being a cancer doctor. Um, so I, I pulled out and, you know, we fell pregnant, thank God, quite easily. But that that journey in itself, that, that nine-month preparation for motherhood, I would say wasn't really preparation. I was really oblivious to what was coming. And so I thought my entire life I was consumed by my job. I was consumed by what I was meant to do, where I was meant to be, how I'm going to get there, how hard I need to work to get there. And so pulling out was as hard as that was for me and making the decision to start a family. I really didn't know struggle until I became a mom. And I, I you huh. know, the, the the work struggles are nothing <laughs> compared Many, to- Most people would think, becoming a doctor would be a bit of a struggle. I know it would be for me (laughs) and one I wouldn't be successful in, but you're saying that that really wasn't uh, as much of a struggle for you. Motherhood was a bigger struggle. For sure. And Hmm. obviously, you know, being young and getting into medicine young and I only ever had to think about myself, you know, me, Hmm. me, me, where am I going? What am I doing? I really want to get into this training program. I want to work with these people. This is what I want. And yes, I think that's where God wants me, but this, this, I need to pursue this for mm. myself. And it was a very kind of selfish ambition. Motherhood is the complete opposite of that. Um, it is the most selfless thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, you give up your entire life, your, your entire body, your being, mm. your sleep, your mind, your soul. Everything mm. is given up for this person that you, you haven't even met yet. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I'm you're wondering, giving up. was part of the struggle that you had a vision of what motherhood was going to be like, and then that kind of came crashing down. Is that part of the struggle? For sure. And, you know, the first, the opening chapter in my book, I've called it Instagrammable because I feel like what I've been fed about motherhood up until that point was very much, you know, the idealistic view of motherhood. You know, you, you go on a long maternity leave, you get time with your baby, you know, they... They laugh and they giggle and you learn how to sleep and it's just it's just a loving time and you teach them how to eat and it's messy, yes, but it's so you know, joyful. And I was I was 
fixated on that view mm-hmm. and I felt like I was going to have a great time. I'm going to love being a mum. You know, you just play with your baby all day. You go on really cute shopping trips and <laughs> get to dress up looking the same. And and that's that's the view I was I was almost consumed by in my pregnancy. And so my pregnancy was quite uneventful. And I, I felt like I really had it in the bag. You know, mm. I'm also a doctor and I did all my- Yeah, there I should had, be no problem. Yeah, there should be no problem. I did all my resuscitation courses and I did extra stuff just to be a bit more prepared. And, and, and you've I'd, been looking at pictures of other babies on Instagram, so you know exactly, exactly how it's going to be. I know exactly what, what how it's going to be. Exactly. <laughs> I knew the outfits I was going to wear to the oh, hospital. Wow. <laughs> and it was, it was just one of those, you know, you're kind of fed one thing. But I, I really had no idea what I was in for. Mm-hmm. And then I got thrown into motherhood. So it started off, my labor was really long. Didn't really think much of it. But, you know, I just thought that's just how labor is. This is supposed to be difficult. A baby's entry into the world is not going to be easy. But then about 24 hours after I had delivered my baby girl, she went blue and she oh. stopped breathing. Oh, wow. And that image, just seeing her that way, just sent a bolt down my spine. I I didn't know what to do, how to react. Mm. And there was no struggle. So I couldn't. It was silent. She went blue. She didn't struggle with the choking, with the, the phlegm that was getting obstructed. Mm. She didn't struggle. Yeah. Um, and so thankfully the the pediatrician was in the room at the time and we took her straight to the special care nursery and she needed extra intervention and she needed lines and things. And that for me was the start that birthed my anxiety, I feel. Well, that's part one of Eric Scadabo's chat with Dr. Marette Abraham. Today, we've heard the start of her story and how her battle with anxiety and depression began soon after she became a mother. Next time, we'll hear how God begins to rescue her from the depths of despair. Meanwhile, to learn more about Dr. Marette Abraham and her journey to a more intimate relationship with God, you can read her book, Mama, I See You, Finding Glimmers of Hope in the Trenches of Motherhood. Her website is Mama md.blog Once again, that's mama, M-A-M-A md.blog Finally, before we end today, I want to leave you with a Bible verse. Maybe you're listening today and can relate to Dr. Abraham's battle with anxiety. A comforting verse to remember is 1 Peter 5 verse 7, which says cast all your anxieties or cares on the Lord because he cares for you. That's right. One of the many insights Marette has learned is that we are not alone. God is right there with us and wants to help us. Why not ask the Lord for help today? Well, until next time, when we'll hear part two of Dr. Marette Abraham's story, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. You've got a newborn, you're not sleeping, you're anxious over everything. I'm in and out of hospital, so I'm separated from her a lot. I'm in pain constantly and the pain is just not going away. And I remember those first three months, my one prayer, you know, before God was always, just take this pain away. Just take the pain away so I can focus, so that I can enjoy my baby. When Dr. Marette Abraham became a mother, she thought it would be the beginning of much joy and ecstasy in her life. 
Instead, she was surprised to find out it was the beginning of her battle with anxiety and depression. She's written about her experiences in her book, Mama, I See You, Finding Glimmers of Hope in the Trenches of Motherhood. We'll hear how God works in Dr. Abraham's life next time. The Story. Just another way Vision is helping you look to God daily. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.